Um, in all seriousness, uh, for those of you that are just joining us literally for the first time, because your friend's family invited you, when we started this church um, about 13 years ago, we met at a theater for about a year and a half, and the theater is right in our neighborhood, actually, right at the corner of uh, Western and almost diversely. Met there for about a year and a half, and then God opened doors for us to meet at a place called Inner City Impact, which is at a corner of Fullerton and Kimball. It's an outreach ministry for youth in this community, and they graciously hosted us for about two and a half years. Then as we began to plan for Easter in a facility that would be, um, that would be able to host us at that time, we prayed and God opened doors for us to go into Seventh-day Adventist Church, just thinking that we were going to be there just one Sunday for Easter. And we wound up staying for seven and a half years. About. Um, and then as you know, the last 10 years, we've been looking for a facility to call home permanently as our ministry continued to grow and various other needs that needed to be addressed, like families and other expanding ministries, uh, began to happen. And we've been praying for 10 years, and God literally closed doors for about three, four facilities that we thought was going to be a perfect home for us. And I'll talk a little bit about this today and upcoming weeks. During those 10 years, we thought each facility that we looked at seriously, we thought that was it. And all of us prayed and sought it. And then when God closed doors, took a step back and just thought, really? Um, but 10 years later, as we look back, and God knew what he was doing. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but God knew what he was doing. And each time we thought, Lord, this can't possibly not be it. God was going, no, it's not. And then we need to trust him, yeah? We really do. Um, so I was told to keep it a little bit short today so we can get over to the next door. And so I'm going to try. Make sure and get you out of here on time so that uh, we could have lunch and fellowship. Um, I'll tell you why I enjoy Christmas and why this season of Advent is important for us and why we as a church go through this season. Because for me, the Christmas story challenges this truncated narrative of the gospel that some of us grew up with. And that is this. Some of us grew up with, with this truncated sense of the gospel that said Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again so that we would be forgiven of our sins and go to heaven. But we are reminded, particularly of what happened even this week in San Bernardino, we're reminded, church, this week that the essence of Christianity, and you need to hear this, the essence of Christianity is not an escape. It's not an escape from this real world of tragedy, injustice, oppression, death, and, 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 and death. But it's about a God who chooses to enter in, who chooses to enter into this world into such a world to deal with evil, injustice, violence, sin, and oppression in all their horrible forms. And yes, we are particularly reminded that it's good news for us because if God was willing to step into the mess that is our world, he's willing to step into the mess that is our lives. Amen? And we want to celebrate hope and joy and peace but as I remind all of us every single year, true hope, joy, and peace, they don't come from skirting how things really are. 
and avoiding the difficulties of life, but man in charging right through them and trusting that there is something on the other side. We remember that because a Savior born on this day stared at those things directly in the face and conquered them all through his life, death, and resurrection. I want to remind us today, evil will not have the last word. Injustice will not have the last word. Suffering will not have the last word. Sin will not have the last word. Is that good news? That is good news. True meaning of Christmas is that there is infallible hope. Everybody say infallible hope. Infallible hope for the world and us because God has landed. He came once. And as I said to Parker this week, he's going to come again. And we could work for peace and we could spend our lives on behalf of others because the Savior of this world lived among us, was crucified, but rose again. It's critical that you and I, during this holiday season, keep our eyes focused on him. Because when we don't focus our eyes on him and we don't see God for who he is, we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we tend to give up on people, give up on the world and even us. The Christmas message could not be different from what world tries to have you and I believe. The Christmas message is not about positive thinking. It's not about reaching deep down inside of you and harnessing the power that's within. The Christmas message is look up and see God for who he is. Because when we see him for who he is, we have heart. And when we have heart, we could have hope. And we need hope today as much as our lungs need oxygen. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to kind of park ourselves for the rest of Advent in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to try and go through as many verses as we can today and then pick it up next week. Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This is is pretty amazing right here. Um, Every page of Scripture, every page of Scripture, when you look at it, regardless of what's going on, the Bible says that God is out to accomplish at least three things, okay? Every, it doesn't matter. You open any page in Scripture, and the Bible says from beginning to end that God is out to accomplish at least three things. One is he's out to glorify his name. Secondly, he's out to cause ultimate good to come to us. And third, he's out to bring salvation and redemption for all of creation. Everywhere in Scripture. It says God's out to work to glorify his name, cause ultimate good to come to us, and to bring salvation and redemption. Now, here's the thing. I, I read an article this week, and it was a, a well-intentioned article that said, sometimes there are no good reasons for why things happen. And I kind of knew where she was coming from. She was basically saying, she was basically trying to correct the error that it's really, really foolish and unwise to spout simplistic answers when hard things happen, right? And I totally agree to a certain extent. Because here's the thing. Yes, when certain things happened, don't spout simplistic answers. Don't give simplistic answers. Sometimes we just don't know why things happen outside this side of heaven. We will not know specifically. But, but as followers of Jesus, 
Even though we may not know specifically and spout simplistic answers, we could anchor and ground ourselves in these truths. God is ultimately out to glorify himself, calls ultimate good to come to us and bring salvation and redemption for all of creation. Amen? And we need to anchor ourselves in that hope. No, we don't know specifically. And sometimes we keep our mouth shut and just simply be present. But we know and we believe and we anchor ourselves in these truths. God, somehow you will glorify yourself. Somehow you will cause ultimate good to come to us. And somehow you're going to bring salvation and redemption to all of creation. And verse 4 right here is the fulfillment of a prophecy that was actually given 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. It found this in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now here's the thing. What Mary and Joseph do in going to Bethlehem on the service seems to be an act of civil obedience. To an egomaniac emperor who just wants to expand his empire. But here's what Luke is saying. The gospel of Luke, the author of Luke is pressing in and he's saying to you, um, who we sometimes think is in charge is not really who's in charge. Who you sometimes think is in control of history is not in control of history. Um, Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, that is God, turns it wherever he will. Now, I'm going to be kind of playful with you this morning, okay? Just, just bear with me. So on the surface, it just so happens that Caesar Augustus wants to expand his empire, which so, so happens that he needs to raise revenue or taxes, which so happens to require a census be taken of everyone in the empire because he needs to know how many people there are, which happens to require everyone in the empire to go back to their hometowns to register, which so, so happens that Dave, Joseph is in the line of David and he needs to go back to Bethlehem, which so happens, by the way, that Mary is pregnant with the Christ child. And it's there in Bethlehem, of course, that they happen to give birth to Jesus, which, by the way, so happens to fulfill a 700-year prophecy. You see what Luke is doing? He's pressing in and he's going, um, what appears to the human eye to be random coincidence is a wise, loving God who is at work. Behind all these seemingly random coincidental events is a wise, loving, sovereign God who is completely in control, working to bring about his purposes, which would result in glory to himself salvation to mankind, and third, good to Mary, to which you're going, good to Mary? Yeah, good to Mary. We're still talking about her faith 2,000 years later. And in case you're sitting there going, that's just kind of a random thing. If you read the Bible, this is not an isolated example. The Bible is full of God going, he is at work in seemingly random coincidental events. Read the book of Esther. Read the book of Ruth. And my favorite examples out of all of them is Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph and his life. Seemingly random coincidences that happened exactly the way they did in order to save a family, a nation, and ultimately carry out the messianic line. Let me just refresh your memory to Joseph's random coincidences. It just so happens that Joseph's dad, Jacob, 
decides to send Joseph to check on his brothers who are in Shechem, by the way. But they're not in Shechem. They decided to go to Dothan. So it just so happens that as Joseph shows up to Shechem, there's a man who says, your brothers are not here. They're in Dothan. So, of course, Joseph just so happens to go to Dothan where he, by the way, encounters brother Judah. And Judah, out of all the brothers, is the most favorable to Joseph. And all the brothers want to kill Joseph. But Judah decides, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And so Judah happens to convey his brothers, his brothers to not kill Joseph but to sell him to slavery. Joseph happens to show up, and his brothers happen, by the way, to decide to all agree to go with Judah's plan. Let me just ask, when's the last time 10 siblings to agreed on anything, right? So they all happen to agree. So as they happen to throw them in the pit, they're eating dinner, and it just so happens a merchant is coming down, Dothan, on his way to Egypt. It just so happens that the brother decided to sell their brother to this merchant. It just so happens that in Egypt, he, he is sold, Joseph is sold to somebody who works in who? In Pharaoh's court, of course. It just so happens and so Joseph is sold into the Pharaoh's officials. And you know the story. He is, you know, tempted by Pharaoh's wife. He says, uh, the official's wife, he says, no. He's thrown into prison where he languishes for 10 years. The Pharaoh happens to have a dream that nobody could interpret. And it just so happens there's one guy in all of Egypt who could interpret the dream, and that's Joseph. It just so happens that as Joseph is able to interpret the dream, he is not only delivered from, uh, from, 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 from prison, he, is, he rises to become the second in command to all of Egypt where he just so happens to be in a position that is an entire famine is about to hit the entire country. And unless something happens, everybody dies. Let me ask you something. In this entire story, unless things happen exactly the way they did, in the order they did, a family dies. A nation is wiped out, and the messianic line is in jeopardy. Random coincidence, right? What is the Bible saying? He's pressing in and he's saying, world history is not left to random chance. Is that good news? Here's the amazing thing about this. You ready? If you read the book of Genesis, God never speaks. There is no supernatural event. God seems to be silent. And yet, here's a scripture presses in and says, Even in his absence, God is never silent. Even in his seeming hiddenness, God has never abandoned us. Is that good news? Scripture presses in. Scripture presses in. And it says that there is no such thing as random chance. Kimmy, let me just ask you this. How strong would you be? How strong would I be if today we really believe that our lives, world history, is not given to random chance, but history is advancing under the watchful eye of the King of Kings? Anybody here this morning tempted to despair as you see the injustice and evil in the world? How strong would you and I be today if we believe that ultimately the clock is ticking, man, on the Caesars of the world, the unjust, the oppressors, the evildoers? How strong would you and I be if we really believe that ultimately the Caesars will not have the last word, but God will have the last word?
How strong would you and I be if we really believe that God oversees not just world-changing events, but even the small detail of our lives to accomplish his purposes? I need to speak to some of you. How strong would you be if you really believe that God is at work in your life even when you don't see it? God is at work in your life even when you don't feel it. God is at work in our lives even when it feels like we've been waiting forever. And God is at work in our lives even when things don't seem to make sense. How strong would you be? How strong would I be? To choose us to anchor ourselves in real quick. Please know and not know what God is doing. What do I mean? You can't look at your current circumstances you can't, I can't look at our current circumstances alone and determine God's activity, determine whether God is at work. Don't just look at your circumstances alone to determine whether God is being faithful to you, whether God is working on your behalf, whether God is at work in this city and the world. Second truth, this is a little harder. God's redeeming love for you is completely compatible with hard things, tragic things, unexplainable things. You say, prove it. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. This is why I love the fact that we have two crosses now. I get to point to both of them. <laughs> Look at the crosses. Look at the cross. Choose. Look at the cross. Can I get an amen? The ultimate act of redemption and salvation for the world and for us came through the greatest evil and injustice perpetrated. The innocent son of God dying for our sins. The ultimate act of healing and restoration and reconciliation of the world comes through death. Through death, tragedy and sacrifice comes salvation. Do you think on that day, people who looked at the son of God dying on the cross thought to themselves, there is the wisest, most loving act in history? Of course not. And yet, scripture presses in and says, what? God. Is it work? How can you and I possibly look at the cross and say that God's redeeming love for us is incompatible with terrible things, tragic things, hard things? God's redeeming love for us is completely compatible with hard, difficult, tragic, and sometimes disappointing things in life. Luke chapter 2, verse 6, we go on. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. reason why we just kind of like, is because we look at history from the back end of history. But try for a moment to look at this from the people who heard it for the first time. The Jews waited 2,000 years. We all go, man, I've been waiting for a long time. 2,000 years for this to happen. The Jews waited to do that. This was a promise that was made 2,000 years ago, someone they considered their father Abraham. But here's the context. By this time, they're under the oppressive rule of Rome. They don't even have their own government. They, 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 they are familiar with oppression, insecurity, restlessness. It's a nation without hope, spiritually, politically, militarily. And real quick, for 400 years, leading up to this time, for 400 years, not only did they wait 2,000, 400 years, not a single word from God. Silence for 400 years. Every rational person in Israel was saying, God must have forgotten about us. 
God must have forgotten about us. If there was ever a need for a Messiah, this was it. But man, if there ever was a time that made it hard to hope, this was it. It looked like God had completely forgotten about them. Can anybody relate this morning? But here's the message of Christmas. You ready? God never forgets. Is that good news? God never forgets. God always keeps his promises. In the text preceding Luke, and we may look at this in the next couple of weeks, Mary breaks out in song when she receives the promise that she'll bear the Christ child. And here's what she says when she realizes what this means. Luke chapter 1, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering, everybody say remembering, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as, everybody say even as, Even as, or some of your translations, just as he said to our fathers, the message of Christmas that I anchor my hope this year is God never forgets. God is faithful to his promises. God will always show up because he changes not. Some of us are here today, and we're tempted to despair as we look at our life, our situation. And honestly, we are saying to ourselves, God, you forgot about me. And the promise of Scripture is God never forgets. He is always faithful to his promises. However, in his time. In his time. You never know when God will come because he's God and he's outside of time. Can you hold those two in balance? That's the balance and tension. That's the thing that's kind of this morning for us. God never forgets. He will always keep his promises. I anchor myself in that, but the Bible says, but in his time. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 8. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God isn't late with this promise to some measure lateness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God can't be fitted into our time frame. God doesn't respond well to you have until next Saturday to make this happen. Not because he doesn't love you. He's outside of time. What do I mean by that? He's in the eternal now. (laughs) Do you realize what that means? When God is in the eternal now, because he's out of time, that means he sees all events of history at once. Okay, for some of you that are like, I still don't understand. Maybe an imagery. Imagine a mile-long parade on Michigan Avenue. And the perspective of us standing on Michigan Avenue, seeing the parade go by, versus the perspective of someone who sits atop the Sears Tower. Yes, it's the Sears Tower, not the Willis Tower, or whatever it is called these days. Thank you very much. I am a Chicagoan. It will always be Sears Tower. Imagine the perspective of someone who's sitting atop the Sears Tower and seeing the whole thing, versus us standing on the street, seeing the parade go by. The perspective is someone who has the ability to see all of history at once versus someone who sees. Let me give you another analogy. God paints on the canvas of the universe. You and I, 
have our iPhones. <laughs> Can you make sense of your life when you see by a two and a five inch screen? You see the perspective of our God who paints on the canvas of the universe. Can you trust someone like that? In his time. In his time. See the violence? God never forgets, even as God will always show up. God is faithful to his promises. But in his time. But in his time. But I struggle with that, Peter. I know. We never know when God will show up. Sometimes he'll show up when we least expect it. To the human eye, it couldn't have been the worst of times. Think about the nation of Israel. It could not have been the worst time. At once, what was the most powerful nation in the world, Israel, under the rule of uh, the King David, has now become stomping grounds of one nation after another. Everything in the life of Israel seemed to contradict everything God had promised. And yet, that is when God showed up. We also don't know exactly how he will show up. And this is a little preview for next Sunday. Sometimes God will show up in unexpected ways. What do I mean? Does God always keep his promises? Absolutely. Does God always keep them in the way that we think he will? Sometimes. Most of the times, he doesn't. This is one of the reasons why the nation of Israel has such a hard time with Jesus as Messiah. He didn't fit the bill of what they expected. A little preview for next week. Think about the people that God always gives the gospel to first. The gospel comes to the shepherds. 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 Why the shepherds? Peter, what is it? Shepherds. Socially, religiously, in every way, outsiders. Bottom rung in that society. Who gets the resurrection message first? Mary or women. Again, in that culture, in that society. So whenever the gospel proclamation of the good news has changed the world, comes, it comes through shepherds, it comes through women, outsiders, social, religious, economically. They get the message from the angels, if you will, and we get the message from them. We want the angels. We don't want the shepherds. What do I mean? We want God to speak to us through successes, but God often sends us failures. We want achievements, but the way that God gets us into his arms is usually through failures, through troubles. We want the angels, God says, shepherds. Is that good news? Chew on that for next week. We want to hear Dean Jill's God direct book, my success achievement. Woo, flash like God goes. Failures, disappointments, hard times. Do you believe? Do you see promises? Prayer Christmas is a promise that God never forgets, that God is always faithful. He'll come because he's a God that changes not. But in his time, in his time, in his time. You never know when God will come, but he'll come. Now let me finish here. Christmas for the next two, three Sundays, but seriously, every Sunday, 
We need to remind ourselves over and over again of how the history of the universe is going to end, about who is really in charge of it all, how it's going to end. We need to remind ourselves, especially this morning, especially this week, of these truths. And if these resonate with you, say amen. If these resonate with you, praise and proclaim God's goodness. We need to remind ourselves over and over again, God will triumph in the end. Good will triumph in the end. Justice will triumph in the end. Love will triumph in the end. Peace will triumph in the end. We know how this deal ends. Yes, followers of Jesus? And if Christmas is real to you, we are people of infallible hope. Some of us have given up hope. We become cynical. You know who you are. We become hardened because we don't want to be disappointed. Are you tempted to despair this morning as you see the brokenness of the world, the injustice and the evil? Are you tempted to give up hope on yourself? Maybe on others. Where do we find hope? God has landed. He came once. He'll come again. When he came the first time, he didn't come as a judge. And that's great news, by the way, because he didn't come the first time with the sword in his hand to smite evildoers and sinners. Because if he came the first time with the sword in his hand to smite evildoers and sinners, none of us will be here right now. Is that good news? He came the first time, not with the sword in his hand, but to have nails pierced through his hands. He came... To save sinners. So that someday he could come back as a judge with the sword to wipe the world clean of all evil, all injustice, and all sin. Advent reminds us that we await for the return of our king. Who promises that because he came once, he'll come again. And he's going to fix, heal, and restore everything that's gone awry. If Christmas is real to you, we are filled with infallible hope. But in his time, what do I mean? You stay hopefully impatient with the world. What do I mean? With hope, you say to your friends, you could be better than this. With hope, you say to yourself, you could be better than this. With hope, with hope, we say to Chicago, Chicago, say it with me. You could be better than this. Amen? And with hope, we say to the world, world, you could be better than this. And we don't give in to cynicism. We don't give in to hopelessness. We don't just give up on ourselves and the world. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we work towards justice, peace, reconciliation, and love, knowing that our work in the Lord is never in vain. Why? He's coming back, and he's going to restore all things. Church, If anybody here is suffering today and you're tempted to despair because you're saying, God has forgotten about me and my suffering. If you believe in Christmas, if you believe that God became a human being, you and I have the ability to face suffering. Other people don't. We have an ability. Other people don't. Why? How can you possibly believe in a God if it were not for the cross? In a real world of pain? How do you worship a God who's immune to pain? But in Christianity, we don't have a God who's immune to pain. We have a God who experienced pain 
in his ultimate fullest. As I mentioned two weeks ago, how does that anchor us when you see Jesus tragically dying through an act of violence and injustice? What do you see? Do you see a condemning God? No! We see a God who takes our condemnation upon himself so that there would be no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see an absent God? Do you see a God who is remote in suffering? No, we see a God who enters in and who is with us. And experiencing ultimate suffering. We don't see a God of indifference and remoteness. We see a God who so hates evil, suffering, and sin. That he himself personally comes to be enmeshed in it. So that one day he could end evil, suffering, and sin without ending us. Anybody weary from working for justice today? Anybody weary from just... Pouring your life out for those who are marginalized and poor. You know, there are people, good friends of mine, who have a passion for justice, but they have absolutely no assurance that eventually justice will triumph. We followers of Jesus not only have a passion for justice, but we have knowledge that in the end, justice will triumph. Can I get an amen? And I don't know how you live with that. We are given the most realistic passion for justice possible. Why should a Christian be a diplomat? And I hope someday somebody in here becomes a diplomat because peace will win and peacemaking is the Lord's work. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Why should you fight for justice? Justice will win and complete restoration is coming. It's coming someday. And you attempted to give up on yourself? Anybody tempted to give up on yourself? I tell you what gets me through those times, and I'm like, I don't know, God, if I could do the Christian, the Christian life, if I could run the race before me. My anchor and my hope is Philippians. For he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? I'll tell you what that means. That means that every flaw, every sin, every flaw, every sin, everything that haunts us today as followers of Jesus, someday it will all come down and fall gloriously before the feet of Jesus Christ. Is that good news, anybody? Don't give up on yourself. God says, the work that I began in you, child, I'm going to finish it. Because he finishes what he starts. So with that hope, knowing that his resurrection power lies within us, we pursue godliness and holiness, knowing that God is at work in us. We begin this journey of Advent. Are you excited for this journey? I hope so. We're going to come back around to this theme over and over and over again. Because I'm particularly, these days, CC, you can come on up feeling this enormous, enormous need. Enormous need to cry out, Maranatha, come Lord, come Lord. Even as we await the coming of our Savior, the coming of our King of kings and Lord of lords, we're reminded, we're reminded, God never forgets, but in His time. We're people of infallible hope who impatiently say to ourselves, others, and the world, you could be better than this. 
And the next minute or so, as you listen to the Holy Spirit, how is God speaking to you? What is God saying to you in this moment?